Putin's one of the biggest successes as the Russian uh, journalists, Russian pro-Kremlin journalists often say, uh, is that he managed to stop the conflicts in North Caucasus, in Chechnya, in Dagestan. And, and uh, to see and to witness these protests uh, re-emerge and these anti-Russian movements re-emerge in, this, uh, in these regions, of course, uh, it could be a big blow for the regime. This argument between a military recruitment officer and local Dagestanis in late September this year started one of a series of protests in the Russian Republic Dagestan, located in the North Caucasus in southern Russia. This quickly spread on social media, and on several locations small groups of people took to the streets protesting Putin's escalation of the war where he stated that 300,000 Russian military reservists would be part of a mobilization and possibly get sent to the war in Ukraine. And according to the news outlet Caucasian Not, almost 150 people had already been convicted for the protests in Dagestan's capital, Makashkala, only a few weeks later. And Dagestan isn't the only place in Russia where there has been public pushback on Putin's escalation of the war. One of them is in Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, a republic considered having one of the lowest levels of freedom of speech in the world. Here, mothers were detained following the protests and their sons forced to sign up to fight in the war. It was the first protest against the ruling regime in Ramzan Kadyrov's 15 years as head of the republic, according to OC Media. So who are these people? And why are these protests important? Why would someone risk their lives to stand up to the government? And why now? In this episode of The World Stage, we will dive deeper into these protests and what they mean for Russia and the North Caucasus. In October, I had the chance to talk to Badri Belkania, research fellow at the Georgian Foundation for Strategic and International Studies, about these demonstrations. My name is Marie Furhovden. So, uh, Badri, tell us, Dagestan, what kind of place is this? Dagestan is one of the most important North Caucasian regions uh, due to its uh, historic uh, heritage. When there was a big conflict, military conflict in uh, North Caucasus, there was a North Caucasian resistance, anti-Russian resistance, uh, Dagestan was like a pioneer of this uh, of these processes uh, along with Chechnya. And even now, what's the political situation in Dagestan means a lot to understand the whole political situation in, uh, in the North Caucasus, even inside Russia. And when the protests now broke out in Dagestan, 
I think that was one of the most important uh, security issues for uh, the Russian government, not just local Dagestani government or the North, other North Caucasian leaders, but the government as well, because there is a the complex of uh, North Caucasus still persists in uh, uh, in uh, Russia, and if if the North Caucasus is under control then everything's under control in Russia. That's how sometimes uh, Russian uh, leaders formulate the meaning and importance of this region, and especially in Dagestan. What can you tell us about the protests that arose in Dagestan after Putin's mobilization uh, in late September? When the protests broke out in uh, Dagestan in the late September, it was not surprising at all, to be honest, because these anti-war sentiments could be detected in the North Caucasus with the start of the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Because we had uh, some data, we had some evidence from from different uh, media channels that many, many people were taken from these uh, regions, from the North Caucasian regions to Ukraine. Uh, and uh, there was a sentiment, a negative sentiment in uh, the North Caucasian public that when it comes to the social justice, economic uh, benefits, uh, they are outsiders of the region, but when it comes to the war and uh, they just need someone to take and fight there for uh, unknown reasons for them and incomprehensible reasons for them, uh, they often take uh, militants from, and just not militants, but just ordinary people from uh, the North Caucasian uh, regions. So when uh, mobilization officially started, there was al- already this background that uh, the North Caucasus is treated unfairly compared to other regions, and especially central regions and central cities like Moscow or uh, St. Petersburg, and uh, etc. So when the mobilization uh, started in Russia, the partial mobilization, as they call it officially, the protest broke out first in Chechnya, but we... Like when we call it a protest, of course, we should take under consideration the scale of the protest. It's not, this way. of course, these protests were not as massive as we imagine when we hear this word like protests, demonstrations, revolutions. No, but it's important that these protests are very rare, almost non-existent in North Caucasus. So in Chechnya, the protest broke out in Chechnya, in the capital of Chechnya, in Grozny. Uh, on the day the mobilization was announced in uh, Russia, and it's uh, and interestingly, only women participated in these uh, uh, in these uh, protests. Badri explains that social media played a big role in the demonstrations in Chechnya. The official media outlets didn't cover these protests, so people used platforms like Telegram to stay informed. Opposition Telegram channels were coordinating the protests, and videos and pictures were shared widely. The protests in Chechnya ended on September 21st, but even this small protest had some impact on the local government. The leader, Ramson Kaduro, went public commenting them. On one hand, he criticized the demonstrations, saying that the people participating in the protests were enemies of the nation. But on the other hand, Badri explains that there was a tiny recognition of the protests as well, where Kaduro said that Chechnya had already overfulfilled the plan of military conscription in the war by 254%. 
and uh, the fact that uh, Kadyrov talked about this and the fact that he said that we overfulfilled and he, not officially, but by these words, he uh, kind of cancelled the mobilization in Chechnya. Well, there are thoughts and opinions that this was one of the reasons behind this decision was this protest and that he's afraid of this protest that it might grow, that it might grow into something more serious. Mm. Well, uh, I can't say for sure we don't possess that information, unfortunately, and we, I can't say for sure that that's why Kadyrov cancelled this uh, uh, mobilization and we can't even call it cancelled because Chechnya is still one of the centers uh, of mobilization. Chechnya is still there are training grounds uh, for military drills in uh, Chechnya and they prepare uh, militants, uh, Russian fighters, not only from Chechnya but from other regions as well and this this process is still going on mm -hmm. so we can't call this mobilization cancelled but that he publicly said these words that also means that these protests had some reverberations. So mm -hmm. even if if the protests in an international scale, say, uh, were quite small in numbers, yeah. it actually affected, it had some uh, consequences. Yes. After Chechnya, there was Dagestan. And uh, probably when we're talking about the North Caucasian, uh, North Caucasian protests of after the mobilization, Dagestan is the most important case. Because even with the international scale, as you said, uh, the Dagestani protests were quite massive, were quite serious. It all started in a small village called Baba Yurt. A group of villagers protested uh, in front of the local military registration and enlistment of, uh, office. And uh, there was a clash between one of the employees uh, of uh, this uh, military registration office and uh, between the locals. Even in this video, there are statements from the people uh, that this is not our war, for example. The officer says, uh, tells the people, the uh, protesting people in front of this registration office that your uh, grandfathers, they were fighting, probably she means, uh, she meant the Second World War. And uh, one of the locals uh, answered that uh, that was a war, but now it's just politics. And this is a feeling these people uh, these people have. <laughs> Social network plays a very very important role right now in these anti-mobilization uh, processes. And uh, the video someone uh, shot this video where, where this clash between this uh, officer and between the locals where uh, this video got viral in. Uh, the Telegram channels, not only Telegram channels, but WhatsApp, Viber, the ones that are uh, frequently and uh, massively used in uh, in North Caucasus. And as this uh, video got got viral, additional incentives arose that people could protest, that people could make an anti-war, anti-mobilization statements. Also, the reason why these uh, protests uh, broke out and didn't grew was that the people had a feeling that it was not just a uh, partial mobilization, it was a mass mobilization when it comes to North Caucasus. Maybe, maybe it is a part mobilization in Moscow, 
but when it comes to North Caucasus, they just take almost whole village to fight in Ukraine, and this is like a huge number. Uh, and uh, from this small village of uh, Baba Yurt, the uh, protests started, and uh, then the next days there were demonstrations in Hasa Yurt and in uh, Mahachkala the biggest uh, city in uh, in Dagestan and uh, the security forces did everything to somehow to somehow stop the protests they detained a lot of people they even uh, fired uh, into the air and uh, we could see these uh, videos and those photos in the uh, opposition telegram uh, channels which coordinated these uh, these uh, demonstrations uh, two of them would be uh, I would uh, highlight two of them. Uh, one is one Adat, which is a Chech- uh, Chechen opposition telegram channel, and uh, another one was Utra Dagestan. Uh, literally, could be translated in English as "Morning Dagestan." Badri explains that this channel initially was quite small, with around 5,000 subscribers. But just a few days later, after Putin announced the mobilization, it rapidly grew to around 150,000 subscribers, which is quite massive for a small North Caucasian telegram channel. The channel was then used to plan and coordinate the demonstrations. To calm the protesters, uh, the Dagestan military commissar announced also that uh, uh, those people who don't have military experience or those people uh, who don't have conscripts, they will not call them. And uh, there were signs that the government somehow tried to uh, use both uh, leverages, like violence and force, and also some negotiations with the people. So this uh, announcement that they wouldn't call people who don't have uh, military experience. This was also some, in a sense, uh, an attempt to negotiate with people in order to somehow calm them down. And uh, the head of Dagestan, Sergei Melikov, also recognized that there were some mistakes during mobilization activities, that there were some people sent uh, to Ukraine unfairly. And there was uh, even a very, very famous uh, video where he almost shouts at the members of his uh, government due to the errors and uh, mistakes. The government like tried with all the uh, instruments they had to somehow stop these uh, protests, and uh, finally they succeeded. But of course, these negative sentiments they just don't fade away that easily. And uh, if this mobilization, this massive mass mobilization in the North Caucasus will continue, probably we should expect uh, the next developments, which could be even more threatening. Uh, for the local and central government, in uh, for the local governments and the central uh, government, uh, the Kremlin in uh, Russia. Hmm. So you have already said something about this, but why are these demonstrations important? Um, why are they special? Well, first of all, they're special because we never see protests in uh, North Caucasus, especially in Chechnya. In Chechnya, it was one of the first protests in, in many, many years. Uh, 
Um, there were some small local protests uh, in Dagestan before, but mostly about uh, social issues, uh, economic issues. But this is very, very political. This is very, very um, unusual for North Caucasus. And the the fact that the local governments, and not only local government, but the central government also had to react to these uh, demonstrations, that means that it's it might be even more important than we can imagine. And it might be perceived as more threatening than we now think it is. And and since the war broke out in, uh, in February, the Russian people ha- have received criticism uh, from the West for not protesting enough, you know, yeah. not showing enough resistance against Putin and his regime and his war. And uh, what are your thoughts about this criticism? Well, I understand the Western standpoint as well, because uh, it's difficult to comprehend why these people don't go out, why don't these people don't protest when the war already touched not only um, just the militants and uh, soldiers, but it already touched um, the very, very population of Russia itself. But everything is not that easy, of course, and we should take under consideration that it's a totalitarian regime in Russia and all of these people who go out and uh, protest, most of them are detained, most of them are persecuted. And uh, to go out and to protest, it almost means to risk your freedom, risk your life in Russia. And uh, and maybe this is one of the reasons, to get back to your first question, maybe this is one of the reasons why these protests, uh, these protests were so important in North Caucasus, because people went out in spite of all of these important factors. In areas like these, where protests or demonstrations are quite rare, yeah. uh, you mentioned you know you're risking your life potentially, yeah. your freedom, uh, to protest. But now people are doing it anyway, and yeah. what's that showing us? The fact that these people are protesting in spite of all the threats um, they face in uh, Russia and especially in North Caucasus, because we should also take into account that. Even uh, even uh, in Russia, North Caucasus is also a special case of totalitarianism. That means that they are now in a critical situation. When they go out and protest, of course, they risk their lives and they risk their freedom. But if they don't go and don't protest, their family members, them uh, in person, might be sent to Ukraine, which also means risking the lives and risking uh, freedom, risking health. So it's a it's a bit of trade-off now. So the threats uh, of uh, going to the war might be perceived now as even more higher than uh, the local law enforcement uh, officers and uh, the local regimes. So the, basically the stakes are higher than it was before. Mm. So the stakes are higher for the Russian people, but still the government seem to be worried about these rather small protests in North Caucasus. Uh, why are they afraid? Because of the historic background and uh, the persistent negative sentiments and anti-Kremlin, anti-Russian sentiments that still, that still uh, exist in these uh, regions, 
Putin's one of the biggest successes as the Russian uh, journalists, Russian pro-Kremlin journalists often say, uh, is that he managed to stop the conflicts in North Caucasus, in Chechnya, in Dagestan, and, and uh, to see and to witness these protests uh, re-emerge and these anti-Russian movements re-emerge in this uh, in these regions, of course, uh, it could be a big blow for the regime. Mm-hmm. Do you think this could spark a, a revolution of some sort? It's hard to predict. At this moment, I wouldn't say that there are signs of some type of very, very serious demonstrations that would result in a revolution or something even bigger. But there are signs, very, very evident signs that there is a very clear public discontent, which is increasing as we speak. And a lot of depends on the course of the war itself in Ukraine, because Russia never had a plan to announce mobilization, right, in the beginning of the war. They thought that it would go much more smoothly. Russia has huge problems when it comes to the military preparedness of Russian forces. And uh, if the situation worsens for Russia, they might be forced to mobilize even more people. And that means that even more families will be touched by the war in Ukraine, by the war that many, many in North Caucasus can't understand and can't empathize with. And uh, that means that we could expect new waves of demonstrations. Will these waves grow into massive revolution or something like that? That's very difficult to predict. Yeah. Then I'll uh, leave it up to you to follow the situation uh, further on. Thank you so much, Padri, for taking your time. Thank you very uh, much for inviting for this very interesting talk. You have listened to an episode of the Newpi podcast, The World Stage. This episode was produced in cooperation with the Norwegian-Russian network. Make sure you don't miss the next episode by subscribing to us in your preferred podcast app. If you have any suggestions or comments on today's episode, you can reach us at post at newpi.no. This recording was made on October 21st, 2022. The sound clips in this episode are from CHP Kavkatse and Medusa.